Good morning. Happy Easter. You guys clean up so nice. Yeah, don't let's, can we just start off right now and just don't tell anybody you ever saw me wearing a suit jacket. I got a reputation to protect and this is not helping it. Um, It's that one day a year, I guess, if Jesus could raise from the dead. I think it was one of my mother's lines. If Jesus can raise from the dead, you can sure wear a turtleneck on Sunday. (laughs) We're so glad that you're here. I'm uh, Darren. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, actually, uh, Mo didn't get a chance to even share it, but I think this week we just sent another $20,000 towards Haiti again for the Bible school and for... It's what, you know... (laughs) Yeah. When you're in a property that's paid for in a building that has no overhead, it's a whole lot easier to, uh, to live generously. So we're just so grateful for that and the lives that are, that are impacted by it. Um, yeah, so we're glad you're here. Thank you. I uh, would love to, if you've got your Bibles, to open to the book of John, chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 18. But I want to pray for us and then just dive headlong into what God, uh, God's been speaking some pretty cool stuff to me. So I hope it's, it's impacting to you as it is to me. Father, we ask for your... Um, for your word to be alive for us this morning and for it to uh, speak to us. And we're so grateful that every day we wake up in a world where you were resurrected, one where everything changed because of that. I ask for your uh, wisdom today and your guidance and for your Holy Spirit to be our counselor and our comforter and all those things that you promised that you would be. It's in your name that we pray. And early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, Outrunning Peter, stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloth lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but separate, neatly folded by itself. And then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. No one yet knew from Scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels standing there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. And they said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, And I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, Woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking he was the gardener, said, Mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. And turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary went 
telling the news to the disciples, I saw the master, and she told them everything he said to her. Thank you, Jim. I want you to meet Samson. He is the Tyler Hound. Some of you have met him face to face, have had the pleasure or displeasure, depending on your experience of meeting this dog. Um, Samson uh, came to be a part of the Tyler family about 2008 or nine. Uh, we do you know where the Happy Tales is? Everybody know where that is? Okay, so. You could just take your, you could take your kids there and just walk the dogs, and then you'd bring them back. It's like the library, but for dogs. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't that seem funnier than the way? <laughs> but it's what it was. You just check them out and check them back in when you're done. Except for one uh, fateful day uh, when, when Lauren was with me, my little Lauren, who just loves animals so much that when we were in Haiti, she was, her dream was to start an SPCA in Haiti, you know, to save the dogs. So on the drive home, uh, that was that day we walked this dog. His uh, name was Samson, and he was, uh, he's the kind of dog where he's just got to be on you all the time. Like he's putting his, you know, his butt on your feet because he wants to sit on you and wants to be near you. And so on the way home, Lauren is like just weeping almost. She's like, Dad, it was the best dog ever. We, he's supposed to be ours. He loved us. I mean, he's just playing me like a fiddle. So that day, Samson ended up, uh, I guess we had to I don't know, go through the paperwork, whatever it is, but we ended up getting a dog. And that was Samson. Now, Samson's name on the paperwork on the way home when we got him, it said Adonis on the paperwork. <laughs> and I'm going to say this right now that we have a few things about pets at our house. One is that what do you bring to the table? You know, it's why, I mean, all due respect to cats. We don't have cats because cats are takers. They're not givers. You got to, what do you bring to the table? Do you give something? And so, uh, but the other thing is for Samson was I'm not going to stand on my back porch and call for a dog named Adonis. I'm a grown man. Adonis! Adonis! So I it just, I couldn't really see that. So the good news was this. They said, well, that was actually his name when he got here uh, that they gave him. But the foster family that he was with that was uh, caring for him until he got adopted uh, re- nicknamed him Samson. So we're like, good. I can say Samson confidently. So that first night when Samson came home, formerly known as Adonis, um, we got up in the next, I seemed like it was that morning, but it might have been in the night. At some point, I'm wandering through the house in the nighttime, and it smells not good in the living room area, like blasphemous, uh, spiritual darkness kind of smell, like evil, the, you know, the gates of hell have opened up, and this is what it would smell like. So we're like, what has happened? And looking around on the floor, because I mean, I know what's happened is he's, you know, he's done something, but... What we didn't notice is the reason we didn't see it immediately was he had crawled up on top of the ottoman. Somehow managed to get on top of the ottoman in the living room and, and desecrated it. Which, in my mind, the only thing I think is, would he get up like some, like those gargoyles on the edge of buildings in New York that are just perched up there? Like, I don't know what possessed him to crawl up on top of the ottoman, but he did. So at that point, we're like, well, we better crate train this dog because that's not going to work. And... So we went and we bought him a crate, uh, one of those big wire crates, and we lock him in, and we leave and come home later that day, and he is not in the crate anymore. He has broken out of the crate, which I didn't know was an option. He did it again, like the next day. So at that point, we're like, well, you know, we don't want him to desecrate the ottoman, so here, we'll, we'll put him in the bathroom this time. Like we had a little downstairs half bath. We put him in the downstairs half bath, went about our business. Shannon came home that 
later that day, and Samson had eaten the bathroom. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Destroyed it. The entire door jam was chewed and shredded. The, the doorknob was bent and tooth marks in it, trying to open it. Had destroyed our bathroom. And it hit us at that moment. Oh, that's why they changed his name to Samson. <laughs> they knew what was going on with <laughs> this dog. Adonis was like the homeless dog that had, you know, that was scared and beaten or whatever. But here's Samson, this new dog in his new life, and he is not about to go back into bondage again. He is going to break free whatever the cost. So Samson, by the way, to this day, he is fine as long as you don't put him in a cage. I uh, would like to apologize uh, to if anybody here happened to work at Rock and Country. I would like to publicly apologize to you. Uh, there was somebody in second service uh, that was. Because we actually boarded him this summer there while we were moving, and he literally, he shredded chain link fences. He climbed over chain link fences, a dog, literally injured himself in a quest to not be caged up. At some point, they called and asked, is it okay if we just, like, sedate him? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> fistful of Benadryl, whatever it takes, well, you know. But I was, I don't know, I was thinking about that last night, watching him with the kids, and I'd, I'd ask my, uh, my kids to send pictures of Samson. Uh, their favorite pictures, whatever, and, and they were all these pathetic, um, sleeping, he sleeps all kinds of crazy positions, and his ears are flopping, and just, he's, he's got to snuggle when he gets in bed with the kids, he's got to be right up on them. Like this, the adopted Samson has this whole new identity that is not on the streets anymore, that he's safe, and he has changed his identity, he's changed because he's been adopted, and I was reading this in John, and realizing that I'm, we're looking at three different people that are listed in John. There are others listed in other versions who had their identities changed because of Jesus, because of the resurrection that was cementing these identities into something new. And you see, Peter, first of all, Peter used to be named Simon. Anybody know what Simon means? Worm. Right? What a beautiful baby. Let's name him Worm. But if you think about it, I mean, if you've, if you've, you've read about Peter, you're like, he kind of was. He's a little slippery, kind of slimy. But his name was, was Simon, and Jesus would change his name, literally change his name to Peter, which means rock, Petra, rock. He changed his name to that. He's changing his identity. And then you see John, and John is just a rich kid. He just is. His dad was a, a successful fisherman. It says in the early, uh, I think it's in Luke, early on, that he had servants, that they had servants, that, uh, that his mother, James and John's mother, Salome, was somebody that financially supported Jesus. That there, they were, there was wealth and there was an entitlement to them uh, because they, they should get what they want. And you could see that, I think, when Jesus, I think they went to a town in Samaria and, and they weren't kind, they weren't hospitable. Now, if that happens to you at a restaurant here, what do you do? You go to iHeart Spring Hill and you write something mean about them or you, uh, or you, you go on Yelp and you write something mean. Or, but no, that's not what James and John said. John said, hey, let's call down fire on them. Let's torch the whole place. They gave us bad customer service. Let's torch them. And it was later that, uh, <laughs> that his mother, Salome, would look to Jesus and say, he's like, what do you, what do you want? Yeah, I can tell you, you, you got something you want to ask me here. What do you want? And so she says, and can you imagine the audacity? You talk about a helicopter mom. She says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can my sons be on your right and your left-hand side? Which, by the way, parenthetically, he said, you don't know what you're asking. Can they drink from the cup 
that I'm going to drink from? Fast forward to the cross. Salome at the foot of the cross. And she heard Jesus say the words to the thief. He said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I be with you? And he said, today, I'm coming into my kingdom. Imagine those words ringing in the ears of Salome, who would ask that her sons be on the right and the left hand of Jesus on the day that he came into his kingdom. Thank God he doesn't listen to all of our prayers and said that no is just as much of an answer as yes. Because he knew, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But my point is, you got Salome, the mama, who thinks that her kids should be, that they're, they're that kind of kid. You know, they should be there. So you've got that, and then you've got Mary Magdalene. And of everything you've heard of Mary, much of it isn't actually true. You've probably heard that she's a prostitute. Um, there's some traditions that say that. I don't know where they get it from. I know where they do not get it from is the Bible, because it says nothing of that in the Bible. What it does say about her, though, in Luke chapter 8, was that she had demons in her, seven of them to be exact, and that Jesus cast the demons out of her. And when you see other demoniacs in Scripture, there's behavior that they, that's kind of shameful and embarrassing, right? Like they're running around naked, they're screaming, they're frothing at the mouth. That's what you see in demoniacs. And so what you see is Mary Magdalene delivered from demons who had a, a past that was probably pretty colored and extremely shameful and guilt and and her name, the word Mary, by the way, in the Hebrew means bitter. Did you know that? Mary is a derivative of Miriam. It's so Hebrew is Miriam. In uh, Greek, it's Mary. And in Hebrew, that word uh, meant Mara, Mari, Mara, meant bitter. When the, uh, the Israelites came out of the desert and they were thirsty and they'd been three days with no water, and they were, they finally they see a stream and they were running to get this water, and they get to there, and the water is, is bitter. It was this, the spring was called Mara because it meant bitter, which was awesome because what did Moses do? Jesus, God said, hey, put a, put a tree in the water, and the water became sweet. Tree in the Old Testament almost always speaks of the cross. When you throw a cross at the most bitter situation, it just makes it so much sweeter. At that moment, that situation was made sweet. But you've got Mary, who was named meant bitter, someone who lived kind of shamefully, and, and maybe... If you've done things in your past, you might know that. You feel embarrassed about it. Maybe it was just the way that you were raised in poverty or whatever, and you just, you sort of have that feeling of shame. And when you look around the room, you start to see some of the words that we have that we've torn off of here. There are words that have been added onto our lives in an identity that wasn't one that God has chosen for us. And for Barry, I think there's hardly anything more fitting than that with her with, with shame. And I think it helps me even to understand how it was that she didn't recognize Jesus. Because at first, right, Peter and, and uh, John, they look in and they immediately realize that Jesus had resurrected. And the reason was very simple. See, Mary thought that the body had been stolen, but they're looking at it thinking, they, they say that the, the grave clothes were still in there. And in those days when someone had died, they would wrap them very tight. They'd bring in the doTERRA ladies and they'd put oils on them. <laughs> because they would stink. You know, so they didn't have embalming. So they'd wrap them tight. And so here's a guy whose body was shredded, wrapped up in this. And so if you're going to come steal a body like Mary thought they did, you're not going to unwrap the body, fold the grave clothes neatly and put them on there and leave. So, so those guys immediately knew what had happened. It says they looked in in that passage and they knew that he had been resurrected. It was by looking at the empty tomb. They didn't realize yet that the scripture had already predicted that. But not Mary. Mary. 
Mary didn't get it yet. It says that Mary wept. And I love the mercy of Jesus because he, he didn't get mad at her. Come on, you could see the grave clothes. Don't you get it? He's so gentle and he met her right where she was with the little bit of faith that she had, the little bit of dignity that she had, that she was weeping. And he says, you know, woman, why are you crying? And she says, I don't know where they've taken him. And you're thinking he's the gardener. And if you know, could you tell me? And you think, well, how could she not have known? But if you've been around and maybe you've experienced shame in your life, you don't look up, you look down, don't you? In shame. In Haiti, when we first arrived there 10 years ago, most of the people that were there, they didn't smile. They'd look down. They couldn't look you in the eye. Shame has this heavy weight on it. And watching the 10-year transition of Jesus in their lives and new identities, there's one guy named Jean-Marie that when I first met him, he was, I don't know, he was 16, 17 maybe, but he had grown up in poverty, had grown up with uh, nothing. And so he, he would see Americans and they would, he would look down because he, he couldn't look you in the eye. He wouldn't smile. And he grew up into basically the old spice guy. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. Like he, he's ripped and he, he's big old smile. And, and now when you go there, he actually is one of the drivers that takes us around and leads the teams. And his, his looking down has been replaced by a Jean-Marie old spice guy. And it's like, let's go people. You know, he's just demanding as he has stepped into his identity in, in Christ. I think Mary was looking down and she was weeping because she was, she had stepped into the old Mary, that those old things had come back and were, were wrapping around her again, that inside that Jesus was doing a work, but inside of her, she didn't feel it. She felt far away and she felt ashamed and looked down. But when she heard him say her name, something happened in her. And I would like to postulate something that I'm, this is not a thus saith the Lord, it's just a thus saith Darren, but I noticed something this week that I never knew before. Mary, in Hebrew, means bitter. But Mary is not a Hebrew name. It's an Egyptian name. Her brother in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, the sister, were brothers, sisters. They were from Egypt. Moses and Aaron were Egyptian names. Mary was an Egyptian name. And what, pray tell, would it mean? What does Miriam mean in Egyptian? It means beloved. That she had walked around with an identity her whole life of bitter and she didn't know that she was beloved. And at that moment, Jesus could have said anything but what he said was her name. That this new identity of you are beloved. And at that moment, when she realized her identity, that those chains were broken off. You see, the thing of the resurrection is that you are a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. The gospel isn't about making good people better. It's about making dead people alive. A new you has stepped in, and your name is new, and so is your identity. But sometimes our behavior steps into this other, and it's only because we've forgotten who we are. Because some of you know my dog, Samson. You're thinking, I don't know who that dog you're talking about is because the dog I met is a jerk. If you've knocked on the door of my house, you've known that like just deep and guttural barking. You might have met Samson, the chicken hunter. (laughs) I cannot introduce you to the chicken whose butt he bit off uh, because it's not possible, but... 
he comes up with a big old chicken butt in his mouth. And I'm like, where's the chicken that that was attached to? <laughs> you haven't met Samson. You've met Adonis. You've met the dog that thinks he's still on the streets, the dog that at the, in the core of who he is really believes that he should be afraid still because he had been beaten before. A dog that really doesn't know that he's safe now. And when Samson forgets who he is, when something triggers it, it causes him stress. Isn't that how it happens to us, right? Something triggers it and makes it stressful. Now you begin to act in a way where maybe you've chewed somebody's butt. Maybe you're barking at your wife. And I'm here to tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not a bad person. You just forgot who you were. You forgot the identity of who Jesus has made you into. I, I know I'm like I'm raining Haiti stories on you, but it's just fresh in my mind that when we very first got there as well, three, it's been a few years after we got there, that we, there was a little boy named Jackson who was three years old at the time of the earthquake. We met Jackson because... Uh, one of the pastors, all the people had come together and lived in tents on the properties because their houses were destroyed. And one of the pastors in the middle of the night, something was leaning up against his tent and he was elbowing the dog because he thought it was a dog until the dog started crying. And it was Jackson. Jackson was three years old. He'd been abandoned and he didn't know where else to go. He's just a little boy. He didn't know. He just went and he started to lay down to sleep outside of that tent. And Jackson was brought into our restoration house. He's 11 years old right now, by the way, or 12, and in the process of being adopted here in America. But when he moved into the restoration house, we had people that were coming down and working and doing things, and one of them was actually one of ours, a guy's here, a guy named Ben, who was down there for three months, and Jackson kept stealing his stuff. Jackson also learned how to make phone calls, by the way, which was kind of expensive. Uh, <laughs> Ben's like, I got like a $400 phone bill because this kid keeps calling people. But here's the thing. What was happening is he was stealing stuff, and we were thinking, we got to get him out of here because he's going to mess up the whole thing. He's, he's stealing. He's, you know, he's got to behave better. These, these are the thoughts that we're having. But the house parents said something to me that I've never forgotten. They were like, no, no, no. We have to give him time because his identity has changed, but he doesn't know it yet. That a homeless kid, a street kid, knows that they got to take whatever's in front of them and try to hide it and keep it because they don't know that they'll ever get another opportunity. A street kid doesn't know if there's another meal, so he'll steal food and hide it under his bed. Jackson didn't know his new identity. And I look at that and I think, whether it's Samson, whether it's Jackson, whether it's Jean-Marie, or whether it's you and me, that stepping into this identity that Jesus has created for us is the kind of thing that changes the world. You see, Mary... Magdalene, shameful. In that culture, by the way, a woman's word, I mean, this is going to be really hard if you're especially a modern female. This is going to be hard to hear, but it's what the way their culture was. A woman's word wouldn't even be accepted in court. In fact, in the early church, one of the, uh, the first uh, things written against the church in the first century to say why you couldn't trust that the Christian story was true was this Greek writer wrote, how can you expect a man to trust the word of a hysterical woman? That was their apologetic of why you can't believe that Christianity was true. How ironic is it that to this day now we look at that and think, what he's saying is if you're going to make up a story like this, you better make up a better one than that. But Jesus wasn't making up a story. He could have chosen anyone to tell 
to be the first one to get to go tell the good news that Jesus has risen. He could have told anyone. Jesus, the original feminist, chose a woman and said, you go and tell him. And Mary, you who think that you are bitter, I'm telling you, you are beloved. And Mary, who would have been ashamed and how can, I, how can I possibly expect that they would trust my words is going to because she knows who she is, steps into it and goes in immediately and tells the good news and a church is being born. Jesus would breathe on them. It says and the, the Holy Spirit would come inside of them. And John, the entitled disciple who wanted to call down fire, when you read the text of this, what is John? He refers to himself as what? The one that Jesus loved. John, the entitled one, knows something I wish that I could know every day. That we could just remember that the one who Jesus loved. And John, who wanted to call down fire and torch a town, would instead be dipped into fire in boiling oil and torturing later in his life to get him to recant his faith. He survives, ends up in the fires on an island called Patmos, and writes a book that we today called Revelation because John realized I'm the one that Jesus loves. And Peter the worm, Peter the one that just a few days earlier in the basement of Caiaphas where the, the dungeon was, literally right outside the walls with an earshot, Peter is cursing Jesus. I don't even know who he is. That guy, the guy that said, oh, I'll do anything, I'll die for you right now, Jesus. The guy in the garden that pulls out a sword and cuts off the guy's ear and he's like, hey, I apologize, let me put that back on. That's not that kind of war, Peter. That guy suddenly who was scared and a coward and a worm suddenly stepped into being Peter, the rock, and the church was born on a day when he stood up in front of the same people that wanted to kill him, the same people he was chicken of, and preaches the gospel, and thousands of people came to Christ that first day because he just stepped into the identity that Jesus had for him. And if there's anything that we can do as a, a group of Jesus people, this week, when you blow it, just forgot who you were. When you're afraid, if, if, if it's about, you know, the anxiety and I'm afraid, I can't, it's, it's only because you forgot who you were. And as you remind yourself every day, and we've talked about it, and I think it's worth repeating again, you can either listen to your heart or you can speak to it. David said, hey, my soul, why are you downcast? Hope in the Lord. David, among all, had an opportunity to be anxious and to be afraid and he would talk honestly but then he would switch it and start speaking to his heart. And I would encourage all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to speak to our heart, to speak, hey, you know what? You're an heir in Christ. You're a son of God and if you think, well, that's a misogynistic thing to say, understand that the language of son meant in that culture that the son got everything in the inheritance. He said a son not to be a misogynist because you, if you're a woman or a man, you're getting the same as the son gets it. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are Jesus' brother in this equation. Stepping into the kingdom means that you are now a brother, a sister of Jesus on equal playing field as far as the blessings that he has and eternity is ahead with us. You are beloved of Jesus. You are a rock you are the one whom Jesus loves. And if you wonder, is it possible 
And then you back up and think, wait, the guy that rose from the dead, he got to rise from the dead because he was dead. This idea that he died for you is one that's so easy to say because it's in our, we've heard it all our lives and, and missed the power of the fact, oh, hey, he died. He got dead for you so that you could then look into the mirror of the resurrection and see who you really are. James 1.27 says to be a, a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. And it almost sounds harsh and crunchy, like he's just hitting it on it. It says that he who doesn't do the word is like someone who looks in a mirror and forgets what they look like when they walk away. He talks about looking into the mirror, the law of perfect grace, the, the perfect law. Look into that and what would you see? Galatians tells us, chapter three, that we would see Christ because we are clothed in Christ. And so those moments where I'm blowing it and I've forgotten who I am, it's because I've walked away from the mirror thinking about shame or thinking about anxiety, thinking about rejection, and I've forgotten what I look like because when I look in the mirror as a new creation, I'm looking like Christ. He see, I am clothed in Christ. And what he's saying then is those of you that look into that perfect law, the perfect Jesus, and walk away remembering what you look like, you will be a doer of the word. It says you'll be blessed in everything you do. And it's very simple. It's not a harsh thing. It's like, no, no, keep reminding yourself of what you look like. You look forgiven. We live in a world where Things are done that are beyond your control in this Genesis 3 world. Things that have happened that maybe are hurtful. Things that you've done that were hurtful. Things that are done to you that are hurtful. And what happens every time one of those things. And I mean, if I was to go in and ask one of your children right now, do, do you, you know, are you awesome? You know what they're going to say? Yes. But then life happens. A rope here and a chain there and someone spoke to him sideways. And you know how it is. You can think back and think to a moment where someone said something to you. And for whatever reason, in that moment, something clicked. And it was a chain and it was a rope. When the Bible speaks of being sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between the soul and the spirit, those are surgery terms. Being spiritual doesn't always mean adding to. Oftentimes it means cutting away cutting away these stories that are in our hearts. And we can cut them away because we are changed from the inside out. We are a new creature in Christ. He looks on you and sees Jesus. And anything else that is on you is just a lie. And for you to literally become like Jackson, to become like Samson, you're going to have moments where you're going to bite their butt or you're going to chew them out. But in those moments, you've just forgotten where you are. And the faster you can come back to remind yourself, the better. It gives us the courage even to reach out when the Lord says to go to pray for somebody. But maybe that fear of rejection, which is really pride, by the way, that fear of rejection is, is on me. But if I remember who I am in Christ, even if they do reject me, I know that I was accepted by the God of the universe. The stakes are so much lower when I remember who I am. Would you stand with me? You know what I love about my dog is he will do anything it takes for freedom. He will chew through fences. <laughs> He'll break out of crates. Because he doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to be in bondage anymore. And I think for you and I this week, for our lives to remember who we are, fight for your freedom. 
make it, the effort isn't to try to get free. The effort is just to keep reminding yourself, going through the scriptures, you're an heir in Christ. Ephesians, you're a masterpiece. You're one of his masterpieces. He didn't look at you and think, oh man, I totally screwed that one up. You're a masterpiece. And as you remind yourself of who that is, imagine what we could do in our lives and with our children and, and in the world around us. The gospel is not about making good people better. It's about making dead people alive. Today, we can be alive because of what Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, I pray for you to make these words real to us today. Inside of us, I think that we have, as I know I do, the proclivity to forget who I am. I pray, though, that your word will do its perfect work in us, that your Holy Spirit will make these become alive in us, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, and that our journey every day is a journey back to remembering who we are. So today we look into that perfect mirror, and we see you, and we see you on us, and we see that you have forgiven us, that you've accepted us, you love us. You love us just the way we are and you love us too much just to let us stay that way. We're so thankful for it. It's in your name that we pray.